Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm joined on the podcast today by Cecilia Tishy, author of the novel A Gilded Drowning Pool, part of the Roddy and Val DeVere Gilded Age Mystery Series. Cecilia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jeff Rutherford. <laughs> well, thank you. If someone hasn't yet heard about your novel, A Gilded Drowning Pool, and your Gilded Age mystery series, how would you describe the novel and the series? Well, I'd put it like this. Um, invent an odd couple based on real history because I've been writing and reading about the Gilded Age for probably the last 20 years. And the reason is that if we Google the Gilded Age, what we see are today's events. So we go to history to see a little about ourselves. And this series is based on two actual historical figures, uh, a man named John Mackey or McKay, for whom the School of Mining is named at the University of Nevada at Reno. John Mackey immigrated from Ireland during the potato famine, worked briefly in the Brooklyn shipyards where he learned how to timber all those hulls, and then struck out for the West where he became, in mining, one of the Silver Kings. Uh, very, very rich. Um, I modeled Papa the Silver King on the father of my main character, Valentine Michael Devere. And she is based on an actual historical figure, Evelyn Walsh McLean, who grew up in Colorado in the mining camps where her father was prospecting and struck gold. She always remembered, even as she slept on satin sheets in Gilded Age, New York, Washington, D.C., and Europe, she always remembered that as a child, she slept in itchy union suits under bearskin rugs in sub-zero weather. And as a very wealthy matron, married to a newspaper baron heir, she knew the names of all 30 of her servants, unlike most of the society queens of the era. So here's Val and her husband, whom she meets in the West at, at Silver City, so-called Virginia City, Nevada, um, when he comes with his Knickerbocker parents, whose terrible investments have almost bankrupted them. Well, the two of them, this young couple, Val, and here comes Roderick Wyndham DeVere, who, as a young gentleman, was bored by the life ahead of him and learned about the newfangled cocktails that were being mixed right down from the Barnum Museum in New York City. He had learned to mix them. And when he meets Valentine in Virginia City, and she's with her Silver King Papa, and he's with his nearly bankrupt old school, old money parents, 
he shows her a trick. And the trick is a cocktail called the Blue Blazer, in which heated scotch whiskey and boiling water with some sugar and a little lemon juice in two silver mugs. The, the scotch is set alight and is poured from one mug to the other in a blazing blue arc of flame. Jeff, I'll tell you, I have asked a couple of bartenders, have you ever tried the blue blazer? <laughs> and I've got, I've got from a couple of them once. But it's the blue blazer that sets this couple aflame. And, and so they become, they become, really they become sleuths by a kind of, of almost accident. It's said that in Newport in the summer, and they have married a couple of years on, her papa, the Silver King, is dead, and she is so rich. And thanks to her, his family coffers are replenished. But they're in Newport, and a close friend is at risk of being murdered. Who knows by whom? And they, Val and Roddy DeVere, take on the task of figuring out the plot, the whys and wherefores. And that sets them as amateur sleuths. And Jeff, if any of the podcast listeners remember the Thin Man series, Nick and Nora and their little dog, Asta, this is a kind of reprise of Nick and Nora in Val and Roddy. They become sleuths. And the next, their next adventures after Newport take them back to New York. This is the Gilded Age. This is 1898 and then 99. So there's autumn in New York and young women are being found strangled in Central Park and they are drawn into it. And then comes winter, and at the Metropolitan Opera in their box, Roddy loves the opera. Well, not so much, but something is seeping under their box, and it's blood, and someone has been murdered in the next box. And again, there's, there's that story. That story will take them in their private rail car to Palm Beach, to Henry Flagler's hotel, the Royal Poinciana, in search of more killers. And then comes spring, and one of Roddy's old law school friends, and bear in mind, Roddy is still mixing his cocktails. He is called upon for cocktail consultations by steamship lines and railroads and private clubs and he only insists that his consultations be kept quiet because he is law school trained and he finds himself defending taverns and hotels against the zealous temperance ladies who are on the march. So he wants to keep quiet about his consultations, but he's called upon them so and every one of my Gilded Age mystery novels, his recipes have to show up, and they are actual recipes from the pre-prohibition golden age of cocktails of the Gilded Age. So in the springtime, one of his law school buddies 
in Chicago asks him, would he investigate whether this man's late wife fell down the stairs to her death or was she pushed? So you see, step by step through the year, the DeVeres, Val and Roddy, are called upon. Uh, and in the last one, uh, most recently, they are at a country house in what gets called the, be the between season. And it was called that um, early spring and early autumn. Uh, some of the Gilded Age society uh, ladies and gentlemen went abroad. The gentlemen went for shooting pheasants in Scotland. Uh, the ladies often went to the couturier uh, ateliers, the studios, to be fitted for their gowns and dresses for the coming seasons. But for some, there were country houses where mostly young ladies and gentlemen were invited. Uh, there were tennis courts, there were horses, there were horseshoes. It was just a between-season, but a body has been found on some property owned by Roddy's parents, and so Val and Roddy are drawn in again. And I'm just finishing up yet another, number six, and it will be titled, Jeff, Death in a Gilded Frame. They're back in Newport and uh, Adventures to Come. So that's what... That's what I have been up to for the last couple of years, few years, uh, with the Roddy and Val DeVere Gilded Age mystery novels. That's it. That's, that's great. I, I'm curious. I know that you're a professor of English and American Studies emeritus at Vanderbilt University. How did you go from an academic or, or writing uh, scholarly journal, journal articles to writing mystery novels? Well, yeah. <laughs> that really is a good question because, <laughs> because in, in severe scholarly articles, there are so many sentences that begin with <laughs> the word although, <laughs> and you make your way through all of your colleagues who have mounted their own arguments and you're making way for your argument. But the best of my scholarly writing has a narrative dimension. You know, there's there's a there's an advisor for for dissertation writers who are trying to renovate their work into books. And the and the the advice is this: imagine that you are inviting someone to a party, and you need to introduce that person to everyone who's there and make sure that person has a rewarding time so that when the party concludes, the time has been well spent. Or think of yourself as the captain of a vessel and you welcome aboard your passenger and the ship or the boat is underway. And by the time it docks again, the voyage has been, again, rewarding or worthwhile. That, I think, is really good advice for anybody who's undertaking a, a serious but, but rewarding project. The reader has to be rewarded, not only front to last, but along the way. There need to be, I think of them as 
little presence. Give your reader a little present in this paragraph so it doesn't read flat-footedly like, like one pace into the next pace. Give a little. And that means, <laughs> that means, and along the way, Jeff, I gotta say, reward yourself. Sit there as the, as the reader and the writer too. And you think, what am I getting from this? If it's reading, you're asking of the author that you're in the middle of a book about, no matter what the book's about, where are my rewards? And only if they're coming to you and for you do you want to continue. So as a scholar, you might have to. But now that you go to a place where you're, you're wanting to have people step up volitionally, not because they're going to get tenure or promotion, um, but because you want to, you want to give and take. Uh, and that's, I think, what it's all about. As a, as a reader, you're asking for the rewards that you're being offered and given. Sometimes you need patience. Give that patience. And as a writer, if you're sitting there, minutes are going by, the hour has passed, have you got a decent sentence to give anybody? Maybe get up and warm your coffee or tea <laughs> um, and then come back. Maybe it's not till you get into the shower that it comes to you, and it will. Give yourself a little patience, too. So that's really my, my answer. Yes, I, have, I confess it. I have written whole books that make me blush because I know how they could have been much better written for a wider range of readers. And I'll <laughs> tell you, my, my, my literary agent, Deirdre Mullane, an Irish name, Mullane Literary, and she approached me because I was doing a book on Jack London. Um, and, and what Deirdre says is she is looking for academics who are interested in a wider readership. Uh, and so, and that's a great compliment. So I've, I've, I've tried to think wider readership. Uh, and now that I'm, that I'm officially retired, you know, with some connections, of course, uh, mm -hmm. but officially retired and it's full time in the Gilded Age or Val and Roddy DeVere Gilded Age series. Yes. <laughs> that's wonderful. So I have a question for you. What's your favorite cocktail? Oh, it's the old fashioned. It's the old fashioned. Now I've got to say, this summer, <laughs> summer, it's been a shot of 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 kettle one vodka over a glass of shaved ice. Um, you know, those those shaved ice uh, Hawaiian, um, uh, you know, really soft drinks like snow cones. Uh, sure. But uh, but with with the autumn, I'm back to the old fashioned. And let me just say. Bartenders out there, you need to be think maraschino cherries. They come from Croatia, uh, and they're very expensive, but you get a lot of them in the jar. Don't just pop those dyed red cherries. Or most recently, I see they're, di they're dying ordinary cherries, 
to look like maraschinos, but anybody who is really an old-fashioned uh, drinker knows the first time the molars hit that cherry, whether you've got the real deal or a fake. <laughs> so word, word to the wise. <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. Okay. Uh, and the, what's and your, the one with the what's shade? your favorite drink? Wait a minute. Uh, Let me ask you. What's your favorite oh, drink? Uh, I would say probably a, a really good margarita with tons of salt on the rim. Uh, all right. <laughs> okay. All right. Once and in a while. Frozen. Not frozen. Oh, no, they're terrible. They're, yeah. they're another fake. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so what writing advice would you offer for those who are writing their own fiction stories or novels or mysteries? The first thing any writer advises is read. Read and find the writers that you feel you're in sync with and ask yourself why. Um, what rewards do you get from this, from these books? Um, and the books can, can, can vary a lot. Uh, some can be quote unquote literary and some can be more popular. Uh, and they might be on different shelves in the bookstore or the library. Uh, but seek them out and and then ask yourself why and what would I like to give back? Uh, and and then to start in, I also would advise join a writing group, a group of writers um, and and bear your soul by offering your your trusted, um, writing group members, and everybody needs to, to critique for support, not to tear down. I always said this to students when I put them into groups in the classroom, you're there to help your group members. Um, you're, a, you're kind of a team. You're a cohort. You're not there to show off with your brilliance. You're there to support. And that's what the writing group members need to be. And if your writing group doesn't doesn't um, uh, collaborate for mutual support and you supporting others, then find another group. So, so you're in the group and you will get good advice. Let me tell you some good advice that I, that I got from my mm -hmm. group. All right. It was the beginning of, of one of my Val and Roddy uh, DeVere books. And, and in the books, of course, they're a married couple and they have disagreements, um, some arguments. But one and two of that, of my group, my fellow group members said, Cecilia, let your reader see them liking each other before <laughs> you show them arguing. And that's really terrific advice. I took it to heart. Um, and, um, and in, in my recent ones, yes, they tease each other a little bit back and forth. Uh, and, and we, and I hope, uh, the readers appreciate uh, their little teasing and, and it's loving teasing. Uh, and then they can, can embark on their, on their project and who's murdered, who's killed, what's at stake. And then they're off. And that was really good advice. And sometimes it's a word, um, and a word that will make all the difference. And I can see that. And so as you're, uh, let me say, we're always novice writers because 
every project is so challenging. Uh, so let's think a writer who's just kind of, you know, getting the feet wet up to the ankles, maybe, um, uh, trust that your writing group members might have really good ideas. And maybe the good ideas require you to set aside even to scrap uh, a word or a phrase you've just loved. And uh, I would say, put any of those scrapped phrases, maybe whole paragraphs, into a different file. Maybe mm -hmm. they'll be maybe they'll come up later. Um, they're not gone. They're just moved. So nothing need be considered, you know, trashed, just removed for the time being. And it'll come back later when it's when it's due to come back. That's what I would say. And so to trust, get into a writing group um, that you'll contribute to with your own good thoughts, uh, and you'll receive others' good thoughts. Not every suggestion will work, but a lot of them will. And if the suggestions require you to consider moving out words, phrases, paragraphs, Jeff, I confess, I have moved a whole chapter. Mm -hmm. um, um, but it's been moved, uh, a scene. Uh, and consider that it's somewhere else for the time being, and that when it's time for it to come back, you'll bring it back. All right. That's great. How's that? Okay. That's wonderful. So you mentioned earlier, I think you said that you're working on the sixth novel in the series. Mm -hmm. um, I'm I'm curious, are you um, already thinking ahead to keep continuing the series? Well, I, you know, you have to, to I, I'm sort of stuttering here. Yes, I am. <laughs> and I, and, you know, and so the plot, the outlines of the plot. Now, I have to confess that I have right in-house um a a partner of a long time aka husband bill tishy and when <laughs> i first met bill and we would go out and maybe have a glass of wine and he would want to tell me the plot of something he had seen on screen or a book he had <laughs> read and i had so, you know i have to admit i thought you know do i really like this guy do i really have to listen to these plots well, let me tell you, um, <laughs> Bill Tishy has been a maestro of plotting. Um, and because he will ask the whys and wherefores, and why would the character do that? Um, what would make that happen? And why? And the wherefores. So, so the very first um, of, my, of my thinking, here's what I'm thinking. The DeVere's. Um, the Newport summer will end. It always ends with a horse sh show. And then comes a few weeks and Newport moves back to New York or to Philadelphia, some to Boston, um, and some down to Baltimore or even to the South. Wherever they go, the moving. So the transit from Newport uh, back to the Upper East Side of New York, and it's possible that Roddy and Val's good friend, Theo, might call upon them for some help um, 
one of Pio's aging aunties, seems to have been enraptured by her butler, a butler that Theo suspects may have ill intentions. And so, so yes, um, just to say, Jeff, anybody who's writing in a series is thinking ahead, always thinking ahead, especially as, as the current book starts to wind down. Uh, and, and so the plot is in mind, uh, but only in its roughest sketches. Uh, and I have yet to, um, to, to call upon Bill Tishy for the plot, but I'm, but I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. Okay. <laughs> That's great. Well, what novels have you read recently that you enjoyed? You know, I, I, I don't know whether you ever watched the CBS Sunday morning show, uh, nicknamed oh, Sunmo. Uh, last Sunday, there was, there was, or maybe two, two Sundays ago, uh, a young woman author whose book, The Rabbit Hutch, won the, um, the, the book prize in fiction of the year last year, 22. So I'm in the middle of The Rabbit Hutch a really versatilely written book. Um, and, and, and she's, uh, how her book got by me, I just don't know. But I'll <laughs> tell you the book that I think is going to last into the next century and beyond, a landmark book of the early 21st century. It is Barbara Kingsolver's Demon Copperhead. It's been off and on on the bestseller list for months. Uh, it has not popped in, in, in uh, paperback yet. Mm -hmm. Here's what I think is a problem for that book. Um, King Solver and her publicists have promoted it as a, as a companion to Charles Dickens' David Copperfield, because it sounds like a natural for publicity. But you know, I think it's a, I think it's a, a it, it's a, it's deadening because here's what people think. Oh yeah, David Copperfield. I remember that. That was a long time ago. I don't need to read it. I'll just skip over it. What I think is it really is the follow-up to Mark Twain's Huckleberry Finn for oh, wow. the new century. Yeah. We remember that Huck Finn, at the end of Twain's novel, he lights out for the territory, the part of, of the U.S. That's, that's not yet states. What Kinsolver does is take 11-year-old Huck into adolescence, into young manhood in these days of drugs and social media and and a new gilded age with with income gaps that are really are really horrifying and so just as that that currently popular song about the rich men north of richmond kinsolvers damon demon copperfield copperhead um is singing about those rich men that he is excluded from at the bottom of the heap in Appalachia. And I think it's Twain's novel, newly inspired and written. 
I think Barbara Kinsolver's novel will be, will be for decades and decades to come a standout. Wow. That's a, quite an endorsement. Um, I haven't read it yet, but I'm familiar with it. So it's on my to-be-read pile. Okie doke. Well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your Roddy and Val, Val DeVere Gilded Age Mystery Series? Well, thank you for asking. And my, I have a, a website, and I have a, uh, uh, if, you, if one looks under, it's ccbooks.com, C-E-C-E-B-O-O-K-S.com. And it'll take you right to the website, um, uh, and and there it is, and there are the books. Um, or let's say anybody could start with one of the books, A Gilded Debt. Uh, be careful, the last name, my last name, spelled T as in Tom, I-C-H-I. <laughs> It could take you to the Tai Chi exercise uh, programs <laughs> if you're not if you're not careful. So it's Cecilia spelled with two E's. This came from my grandmother. Oh Lordy, C E C E L I A. Last name T as in Tom I C H I, and and there's ccbooks.com. Great. And I will have links to CC books in the show notes and people can always Google your name. Um, again, we've been speaking to Cecilia Tishy, author of the novel, A Gilded Drowning Pool. And that novel is part of the Roddy and Val DeVere Gilded Age Mystery Series. The series is available now, so go buy a copy. And Cecilia, thanks for doing this interview. Jeff, it's been terrific. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Absolutely.